chapter three of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three france loses acadia the peace of ryswick in sixteen ninety seven had settled nothing finally france was still strong enough to aim at the mastery of europe and america england was torn by internal faction and would not prepare to face her menacing enemy always the english have disliked a great standing army now despite the entreaties of a king who knew the real danger they reduced the army to the pitiable number of seven thousand men louis the fourteenth grew ever more confident in seventeen hundred he was able to put his own grandson on the throne of spain and to dominate europe from the straits of gibraltar to the netherlands another event showing his resolve soon startled the world in seventeen o one died james the second the dethroned king of england and louis went out of his way to insult the english people william the third was king by the will of parliament louis had recognized him as such yet on the death of james louis declared that james's son was now the true king of england this impudent defiance meant and louis intended that it should mean renewed war england had invited it by making her forces weak william the third died in seventeen o two and the war went on under his successor queen anne thus it happened that once more war parties began to prowl on the canadian frontier and women and children in remote clearings in the forest shivered at the prospect of the savage scourge the english colonies suffered terribly everywhere france was aggressive the warlike iroquois were now so alarmed by the french menace that to secure protection they ceded their territory to queen anne and became british subjects a humiliating step indeed for a people who had once thought themselves the most important in all the world by seventeen o three the butchery on the frontier was in full operation the jesuit historian charlevoix with complacent exaggeration says that in that year alone three hundred men were killed on the new england frontier by the abenaki indians incited by the french the numbers slain were in fact fewer and the slain were not always men but sometimes old women and young babies the policy of france was to make the war so ruthless that a gulf of hatred should keep their indian allies from ever making friends and resuming trade with the english whose hatchets blankets and other supplies were as the french well knew better and cheaper than their own the french hoped to seize boston to destroy its industries and sink its ships then to advance beyond boston and deal out to other places the same fate the rivalry of new england was to be ended by making that region a desert the first fury of the war raged on the frontier of maine which was an outpost of massachusetts on an august day in seventeen o three the people of the rugged little settlement of wells were at their usual tasks when they heard gunshots and war-whoops indians had crept up to attack the place 
they set the village on fire and killed or carried off some two-score prisoners chiefly women and children the village of deerfield on the northwestern frontier of massachusetts consisted of a wooden meeting-house and a number of rough cabins which lodged the two or three hundred inhabitants on a february night in seventeen o four savages led by a young member of the canadian noblesse hartel de rouville approached the village silently on snowshoes waited on the outskirts during the dead of night and then just before dawn burst in upon the sleeping people the work was done quickly within an hour after dawn the place had been plundered and set on fire forty or fifty dead bodies of men and women and children lay in the village and a hundred and eleven miserable prisoners were following their captors on snowshoes through the forest each prisoner well knowing that to fall by the way meant to have his head split by a tomahawk and the scalp torn off when on the first night one of them slipped away rouville told the others that should a further escape occur he would burn alive all those remaining in his hands the minister of the church at deerfield the rev john williams was a captive together with his wife and five children the wife falling by the way was killed by a stroke of a tomahawk and the body was left lying on the snow the children were taken from their father and scattered among different bands after a tramp of two hundred miles through the wilderness to the outlying canadian settlements the minister in the end reached quebec every effort was made even by his indian guard to make him accept the roman catholic faith but the stern puritan was obdurate his daughter eunice on the other hand caught young became a catholic so devoted that later she would not return to new england lest the contact with protestants should injure her faith she married Kakanawaga indian and became to all outward appearance a squaw williams himself lived to resume his career in new england and to write the story of the raid at deerfield it may be that there were men in new england and new york capable of similar barbarities it is true that the savage allies of the english when at their worst knew no restraint there is nothing in the french raids on a scale as great as that of the murderous raid by the iroquois on the french village of Lachine but the puritans of new england while they were ready to hew down savages did not like and rarely took part in the massacre of europeans as the outrages went on year after year the temper of new england towards the savages grew more ruthless the general court the legislature of massachusetts offered forty pounds for every indian scalp brought in indians like wolves were vermin to be destroyed the anger of new england was further kindled by what was happening on the sea privateers from point royal in acadia attacked new england commerce and new england fishermen and made unsafe the approaches to boston this was to touch a commercial community on its most tender spot and a deep resolve was formed that canada should be conquered and the menace ended once for all it was only an occasional spirit in massachusetts who made comprehensive political plans one of these was samuel vetch a man somewhat different from the usual type of new england leader for he was not of english but of scottish origin of the covenanter strain vetch himself an adventurous trader had taken a leading part in the ill-fated scottish attempt to found on the isthmus of panama a colony which in easy touch with both the pacific and the atlantic 
should carry on a gigantic commerce between the east and the west the colony failed chiefly perhaps because spain would not have this intrusion into territory which she claimed tropical disease and the disunion and incompetence of the colonists themselves were spain's allies in the destruction after this vetch had found his way to boston where he soon became prominent in seventeen o seven scotland and england were united under one parliament and the active mind of vetch was occupied with something greater than a scottish colony at panama queen anne vetch was resolved should be sole empress of the vast north american continent massachusetts was ready for just such a cry the general court took up eagerly the plan of vetch the scheme required help from england and the other colonies to england vetch went in seventeen o eight marlborough had just won the great victory of oudenarde it was good the english ministry thought to hit france wherever she raised her head in the spring of seventeen o nine vetch returned to boston with promises of powerful help at once for an attack on canada and with the further promise that the victory won he himself should be the first british governor of canada new york was to help with nine hundred men other remoter colonies were to aid on a smaller scale these contingents were to attack canada by way of lake champlain twelve hundred men from new england were to join the regulars from england and go against quebec by way of the sea and master canada once for all the plan was similar to the one which amherst and wolfe carried to success exactly fifty years later and with a wolfe in command it might now have succeeded the troops from england were to be at boston before the end of may seventeen o nine the colonial forces gathered new jersey and pennsylvania refused indeed to send any soldiers but new york and the other colonies concerned did their full share by the early summer colonel francis nicholson with some fifteen hundred men lay fully equipped in camp on wood creek near lake champlain ready to descend on montreal as soon as news came of the arrival of the british fleet at boston for the attack on quebec on the shores of boston harbor lay another colonial army large for the time the levies from new england which were to sail to quebec officers had come out from england to drill these hardy men and as soldiers they were giving a good account of themselves they watched fasted and prayed and watched again for the fleet from england summer came and then autumn and still the fleet did not arrive far away in the crowded camp on wood creek pestilence broke out and as time wore on this army slowly melted away either by death or withdrawal at last on october eleventh seventeen o nine word came from the british ministry dated the twenty seventh of july two months after the promised fleet was to arrive at boston that it had been sent instead to portugal in spite of this disappointment the resolution endured to conquer canada new york joined new england in sending deputations to london to ask again for help four mohawk chiefs went with peter schuyler from new york and were the wonder of the day in london it is something to have a plan talked about malplaquet the last of marlborough's great victories had been won in the autumn of seventeen o nine and the thought of a new enterprise was popular nicholson who had been sent from boston urged that the first step should be to take port royal what the colonies required for this expedition was the aid of four frigates and five hundred soldiers who should reach boston by march the help arrived though not in march but in july seventeen ten 
boston was filled with enthusiasm for the enterprise the legislature made military service compulsory quartered soldiers in private houses without consent of the owners impressed sailors and altogether was quite arbitrary and high-handed the people however would bear almost anything if only they could crush port royal the den of privateers who seized many new england vessels on the eighteenth of september to the great joy of boston the frigates and the transports sailed away with nicholson in command of the troops and vetch as adjutant-general what we know to-day as digby basin on the east side of the bay of fundy is a great harbor landlocked but for a narrow entrance about a mile wide through this gut as it is called the tide rushes in a torrential and dangerous stream but soon loses its violence in the spacious and quiet harbor here the french had made their first enduring colony in america on the shores of the beautiful basin the fleur-de-lis had been raised over a french fort as early as sixteen o five a lovely valley opens from the head of the basin to the interior it is now known as the annapolis valley a fertile region dotted by the homesteads of a happy and contented people these people however are not french in race nor do they live under a french government when on the twenty fourth of september seventeen ten the fleet from boston entered the basin and in doing so lost a ship and more than a score of men through the destructive current the decisive moment had come for all that region fate had decreed that the land should not remain french but should become english port royal was at that time a typical french community of the new world the village consisted of some poor houses made of logs or planks a wooden church and lying apart a fort defended by earthworks the governor subercasse was a brave french officer he ruled the little community with a despotism tempered only by indignant protest to the king from those whom he ruled when his views and theirs did not coincide the peasants in the village counted for nothing connected with the small garrison there were ladies and gentlemen who had no light opinion of their own importance and were so peppery that subercasse wished he had a madhouse in which to confine some of them he thought well of the country it produced he said everything that france produced except olives the fertile land promised abundance of grain and there was an inexhaustible supply of timber there were many excellent harbors had he a million livres he would he said invest it gladly in the country and be certain of a good return his enthusiasm had produced however no answering enthusiasm at versailles for there the interests of port royal were miserably neglected yet it was a thorn in the flesh of the english in seventeen o eight privateers from port royal had destroyed no less than thirty-five english vessels chiefly from boston and had carried to the fort four hundred and seventy prisoners even in winter months french ships would flit out of port royal and bring in richly laden prizes can we wonder at boston's deep resolve that now at last the pest should end it was an imposing force which sailed into the basin the four frigates and thirty transports carried an army far greater than supercasse had thought possible the english landed some fourteen hundred men supercasse had less than three hundred within a few days when the english began to throw shells into the town he asked for terms on the sixteenth of october the little garrison neglected by france and left ragged and half starved marched out with drums beating and colors flying the english drawn up before the gate showed the usual honors to a brave foe the french flag was hauled down and in its place floated that of britain port royal was renamed annapolis and vetch was made its governor 
three times before had the english come to port royal as conquerors and then gone away but now they were to remain ever since that october day when autumn was colouring the abundant foliage of the lovely harbour the british flag has waved over annapolis because the flag waved there it was destined to wave over all acadia or nova scotia and with acadia in time went canada a partial victory however such as the taking of port royal was not enough for the aroused spirit of the english they and their allies had beaten louis the fourteenth on the battlefields of europe and had so worn out france that clouds and darkness were about the last days of the grand monarch now nearing his end in america his agents were still drawing up papers outlining grandiose designs for mastering the continent and for proving that england's empire was near its fall but europe knew that france in the long war had been beaten the right way to smite france in america was to rely upon england's naval power to master the great highway of the st lawrence to isolate canada and to strangle one by one the french settlements beginning with quebec there was malignant intrigue at the court of queen anne one favourite the duchess of marlborough had just been disgraced and another mrs masham had been taken on by the weak and stupid queen the conquest of canada if it could be achieved without the aid of marlborough would help in his much desired overthrow petty motives were unhappily at the root of the great scheme who better to lead such an expedition than the brother of the new favourite whose success might discredit the husband of the old one accordingly general jack hill brother of mrs masham was appointed to the chief military command and an admiral hitherto little known but of good habits and quick wit sir hovenden walker was to lead the fleet the expedition against quebec was on a scale adequate for the time britain dispatched seven regiments of regulars numbering in all five thousand five hundred men and there were besides in the fleet some thousands of sailors and marines never before had the english sent to north america a force so great on june twenty fourth seventeen eleven admiral walker arrived at boston with his great array boston was impressed but boston was also a little hurt for the british leaders were very lofty and superior in their tone towards colonials and gave orders as if boston were a provincial city of england which must learn respect and obedience to his majesty's officers vested with the queen's royal power and authority more than seventy ships led by nine men-of-war sailed from boston for the attack on canada on board were nearly twelve thousand men compared with this imposing fleet that of phipps twenty-one years earlier seems feeble phipps had set out too late this fleet was in good time for it sailed on the thirtieth of july vetch always competent was in command of the colonial military forces but never had any chance to show his mettle for during the voyage the seamen were in control the admiral had left england with secret instructions he had not been informed of the task before him and for it he was hardly prepared there were no competent pilots to correct his ignorance now that he knew where he was going he was anxious about the dangers of the northern waters the st lawrence river he believed froze solidly to the bottom in winter and he feared that the ice would crush the sides of his ships as he had provisions for only eight or nine weeks his men might starve his mind was filled as he himself says with melancholy and dismal horror at the prospect of seamen and soldiers worn to skeletons by hunger drawing lots to decide who should die first amidst the adamantine frosts and mountains of snow of bleak and barren canada the gulf and river st lawrence spelled death to an incompetent sailor 
the fogs the numerous shoals and islands make skilful seamanship necessary it is a long journey from boston to quebec by water for three weeks however all went well on the twenty second of august walker was out of sight of land in the gulf where it is about seventy miles wide above the island of anticosti a strong east wind with thick fog is dreaded in those waters even now and on the evening of that day a storm of this kind blew up in the fog walker lost his bearings when in fact he was near the north shore he thought he was not far from the south shore at half past ten at night Patton, captain of the edgar walker's flagship came to tell him that land was in sight walker assumed that it was the south shore and gave a fatal order for the fleet to turn and head northward a change which turned them straight towards cliffs and breakers he then went to bed soon one of the military officers rushed to his cabin and begged him to come on deck as the ships were among breakers walker who was an irascible man resented the intrusion and remained in bed a second time the officer appeared and said the fleet would be lost if the admiral did not act wyatt was left for a military rather than a naval officer to rouse the admiral in such a crisis we do not know perhaps the sailors were afraid of the great man walker appeared on deck in dressing-gown and slippers the fog had lifted and in the moonlight there could be seen breaking surf to leeward a french pilot captured in the gulf had taken pains to give what he could of alarming information he now declared that the ships were off the north shore walker turned his own ship sharply and succeeded in beating out into deep water and safety for the fleet the night was terrible some ships dropped anchor which held for happily the storm abated fog guns and lights as signals of distress availed little to the ships in difficulty eight british transports laden with troops and two ships carrying supplies were dashed to pieces on the rocks the shrieks of drowning men could be heard in the darkness the scene was the rocky isle ozerf and adjacent reefs off the north shore about seven hundred soldiers including twenty-nine officers and in addition perhaps two hundred sailors were lost on that awful night the disaster was not overwhelming and walker might have gone on and captured quebec he had not lost a single warship and he had still some eleven thousand men general hill might have stiffened the back of the forlorn admiral but hill himself was no better vetch spoke for going on he knew the st lawrence waters for he had been at quebec and had actually charted a part of the river and was more familiar with it he believed than were the canadians themselves what pilots there were declared however that to go on was impossible and the helpless captains of the ships were of opinion that with the warning of such a disaster they could not disregard this counsel though the character of the english is such that usually a reverse serves to stiffen their backs in this case it was not so a council of war yielded to the panic of the hour and the great fleet turned homeward soon it was gathered in what is now sydney harbour in cape breton from here the new england ships went home and walker sailed for england at spithead the edgar the flagship blew up and all on board perished walker was on shore at the time so far was he from being disgraced that he was given a new command later when the whigs came in he was dismissed from the service less it seems in blame for the disaster than for his tory opinions it is not an unusual irony of life that vetch the one wholly efficient leader in the expedition ended his days in a debtor's prison quebec had shivered before a menace the greatest in its history through the long months of the summer of seventeen eleven there had been prayer and fasting to avert the danger 
apparently trading ships had deserted the lower st lawrence in alarm for no word had arrived at quebec of the approach of walker's fleet nor had the great disaster been witnessed by any onlookers the island where it occurred was then and still remains desert up to the middle of october nearly two months after the disaster the watchers at quebec feared that they might see any day a british fleet rounding the head of the island of orleans on the nineteenth of october the first news of the disaster arrived and then it was easy for quebec to believe that god had struck the english wretches with a terrible vengeance three thousand men it was said had reached land and then perished miserably many bodies had been found naked and in attitudes of despair other thousands had perished in the water vessel loads of spoil had been gathered rich plate beautiful swords magnificent clothing gold silver jewels the truth seems to be that some weeks after the disaster the evidences of the wrecks were discovered even to this day ships are battered to pieces in those rock-strewn waters and no one survives to tell the story some fishermen landing on the island had found human bodies dead horses and other animals and the hulls of seven ships they had gathered some wreckage and that was the whole story quebec sang te deum from attacks by sea there had now been two escapes which showed god's love for canada in the little church of notre dame des victoires consecrated at that time to the memory of the deliverance from phipps and walker daily prayers are still poured out for the well-being of canada god had been a present help on land as well as on the sea nicholson with more than two thousand men had been waiting at his camp near lake champlain to descend on montreal as soon as walker reached quebec when he received the news of the disaster he broke up his force and retired for the moment canada was safe from the threatened invasion in spite of this apparent deliverance the long war now near its end brought a destructive blow to french power in america though france still possessed vigor and resources which her enemies were apt to underrate the war had gone against her in europe her finest armies had been destroyed by marlborough her taxation was crushing her credit was ruined her people were suffering for lack of food the allies had begun to think that there was no humiliation which they might not put upon france louis the fourteenth they said must give up alsace which with lorraine he had taken some years earlier and he must help to drive his own grandson from the spanish throne this exorbitant demand stirred the pride not only of louis but of the french nation and the allies found that they could not trample france under their feet the treaty of utrecht concluded in seventeen thirteen shows that each side was too strong as yet to be crushed in dismissing marlborough great britain had lost one of her chief assets his name had become a terror to france to this day both in france and in french canada is sung the popular ditty monsieur malbrouc et more a song of delight at a report that marlborough was dead when in place of marlborough leaders of the type of general hill were appointed to high command france could not be finally beaten the treaty of utrecht was the outcome of war weariness it marks however a double check to louis the fourteenth he could not master europe and he could not master america france now ceded to britain her claim to acadia newfoundland and hudson bay she regarded this however as only a temporary setback and was soon planning and plotting great designs far surpassing the narrower vision of the english colonies it was with a wry face however that france yielded acadia to retain it she offered to give up all rights in the newfoundland fisheries the nursery of her marine britain would not yield acadia dreading chiefly perhaps the wrath of new england which had conquered port royal 
britain however compromised on the question of boundaries in a way so dangerous that the long war settled finally no great issues in america she took acadia according to its ancient limits but no one knew these limits they were to be defined by a joint commission of the two nations which after forty years reached no agreement the island of cape breton and the adjoining ile st jean now prince edward island remained to france though britain secured sovereignty over newfoundland france retained extensive rights in the newfoundland fisheries the treaty left unsettled the boundary between canada and the english colonies while it yielded hudson bay to britain it settled nothing as to frontiers in the wilderness which stretched beyond the great lakes into the far west and which had vast wealth in furs End of chapter three